0: Monkeypox is making the headlines, but how concerned should we be? Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality at Visiant and Practicing Internist. On this episode, we'll talk about the monkeypox epidemic, issues surrounding it, and what we should do about it. Returning to our award-winning podcast is Dr. Martin Lucente. Dr. Lucente. Hey,
1: Tom. How are you? I'm good. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. It's good to be back. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your background? Sure. Real quick. I'm Marty Lucenti. I'm an ER doc by training with a little bit of an unusual background. I did an MD-PhD program and did my PhD in industrial engineering. So I'm an operations engineer who's an ER doc, worked for a number of years at Northwestern and then moved over to one of the subsidiaries of Vizient. And now I'm the chief medical officer for Vizient. In addition, I do a bunch of work on the military side. I'm a national guardsman in the Vermont Army National Guard. I'm the state surgeon for the Vermont Army National Guard and I've done three tours to Iraq, one to Afghanistan, and then one to the Horn of Africa as well.
0: Thank you for your service, sir. Thanks. So we're going to talk about monkeypox. So I think the first thing we need to make very clear, this is not like COVID, is it?
1: No, very different, very different virus with a very different transmission mechanism. So when you actually think about monkeypox, actually the parallels you want to draw are actually to smallpox. Okay, Mm -hmm. this is a little less pathogenic version or sister virus to the smallpox virus. It was discovered back in 1958 in Africa after some transmissions in a colony of monkeys. I think our first actual transmission to humans that was recorded was probably in the 1970s, hmm. and has very similar clinical presentations actually to smallpox.
0: When you talk about people who have been vaccinated towards smallpox, I know that if you were a child during the 70s or before that, there's a high probability that you receive some type of vaccine towards smallpox.
1: Absolutely. If you go back pre 1970, the entire population was vaccinated against smallpox. And you can usually tell if you've been vaccinated against smallpox because it's an inoculation, a little micro injections, typically done over in your shoulder, which caused a scabbing, a pus formation, and then ultimately scabbing. And that scab would ultimately fall off. And most people are left with some residual scarring. So it's a vaccination back at that point in time that was associated with a scar formation on your arm. So you can usually tell if you've gotten it. Anybody born before 1970 probably was vaccinated. Much after 1970, though, there was a real transition away from smallpox vaccination.
0: So in our country, there's been well over 11,000 cases and well over 32,000 cases around the world. I believe those numbers are actually low because many cases may not have been recorded, particularly outside of the United States.
1: Yeah, I jumped on the CDC's website before joining this webcast. And what I would would tell you is the latest number that I'm seeing is just over 14,000 in the U.S. Hmm. and somewhere around 39,000 worldwide. That's the latest as of yesterday on the CDC's website.
0: I also understand there's going to be a new nomenclature for monkeypox. There's going to be a new renaming of the two variants. They're going to use Roman numerals. So it's going to be clade 1 for the Congo Basin. West Africa is going to be clade 2.
1: Yeah. There are actually a number of strains of the monkeypox vaccine, just like there actually was two dominant strains of the smallpox virus. And so fortunately for us, this strain that we're seeing is a little less virulent. Mm -hmm. One strain has a mortality rate as high as 10%. But the strain that's being transmitted, this outbreak typically has a very, very, very low fatality rate, which has been fortunate.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. But I think it's important to note that we don't really have a cure for this, do we?
1: No, there's a series of treatments. And the primary treatment for monkeypox is symptomatic treatment at this point, Mm -hmm. which is basically dealing with the symptoms. Typical symptoms are fever, pretty significant headache, arthralgias, myalgias, then a progression to a rash, a rash that tends to create little bubbles. The difference, there's pustules and vesicles. Vesicles are what you typically see with chickenpox. These tend to be pustules, so little pus collections that burst and form little scabs. And so it typically is a movement through that systemic illness into a rash formation that typically populates the face, the hands, the soles of the feet. Although with this variation of monkeypox, we've seen not quite as much of a classic systemic presentation. And we've actually seen a lot more local rash reactions than we've seen with some other variants. So when you look at treatment for that, you have to really categorize. For the vast majority of people, the only treatment is symptomatic treatment. For folks who have more severe disease, and those folks are typically people immune compromised, There is a little bit more preponderance for kids under eight who get it to have more severe cases. The virus does transmit across placenta, so there is extra risk during pregnancy. And then anybody that's actually got a skin condition that actually causes breaks in the skin, so psoriasis, eczema, all of those things actually put you at more risk for severe disease. In the cases of severe disease, there are actually a number of antivirals that have FDA approval for treatment of smallpox. And in vitro studies, some of those same antivirals have shown efficacy against orthopox, which is the monkeypox virus virus but no true clinical trials of efficacy on that. So basically in those cases, you're working under a compassionate use authorization for a number of antivirals. There's even one antiviral that's been used against monkeypox that is targeted specifically for like CMV retinitis. So a number of antivirals have been tried. The ones that have been FDA approved for smallpox are the most promising ones and the ones that were typically seen. But those are only really used for folks that I mentioned who have severe symptoms. And let me go through what the more severe symptoms are. Severe symptoms are when you start actually having sepsis related to this, encephalitis, and then when the lesions really coalesce and start to have a really significant pattern. So those are the typical severe symptomatology. Those usually require some hospitalization. Those are the only indications really to use any of these antivirals.
0: Marty, I think there's a lot of confusion that this is a sexually transmitted condition. What's your opinion on that?
1: Well, so first, monkeypox prior to this outbreak was really mostly a central and West African disease Mm -hmm. that was actually the byproduct of close contact with rodents, plus minus some non-human primates, i.e. monkeys. And until then, that was really the preponderance of these cases. This is the first outbreak where we've actually seen it spread human to human. And the mechanisms of spread for this virus are number one, close contact, okay? Number two exposure to material surfaces, cloth that has had close contact. So sharing a towel, some of those things, very low risk, but the possibility of sharing a surface, a toilet seat or something like that. And then finally, very rare, some respiratory secretions and possibly some aerosolization of the crusty lesions into the air. Those are the main mechanisms of transmission. So close contact is the absolute dominant pathway for transmission. And so what you would see is intimate close contact is a close contact mechanism, but this is not a virus that is transmitted through seminal or vaginal fluids as a proven causal agent. There is proof that the virus may be in those fluids, but no indication that those fluids are the mechanism of transmission. So it's not by definition a sexually transmitted illness. It's a close contact illness, but intimate close contact obviously is a form of close contact.
0: So Marty, we've been asked quite a few times in reference to public restrooms, getting the buyers that way. What are some feedback that you've been providing?
1: Yeah, what I usually tell people is this is a good time to practice good public hygiene. Use toilet covers if possible. Don't hesitate whenever possible to use hand sanitizers and to make sure you clean surfaces before coming in contact with those things. Those measures are always advantageous. That being said, I wanna make sure just for purposes of clarity, the likelihood of transmission through a toilet seat cover is excruciatingly rare. And so still good global approaches to mitigate transmission of a number of different pathogens, but that's an intervention to attack a very low risk possibility
0: marty thanks for this discussion and we'll continue it on the next episode and to our listeners you can contact marty at his email address in the resource section of our podcast page and if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments please contact me at our email modernpracticepodcast.com we've posted a link in our resource section as well and please join us for other modern practice podcasts subscribe today like us or send us your comments i'm dr tom Milanueva. thank you so much for listening